Hello and welcome to today's podcast. You are listening to the interview section of the weekly sports piece. In this section, we talk with some authors about the papers that we discuss on the podcast. Today, I am glad to start this adventure with Professor Robert Butler. He is a lecturer in the Department of Economics at University College Cork in Ireland. He has published multiple papers focusing on institutional economics and the economics of sports. Some of his papers have been published in journals like British Journal of Industrial Relations, European Journal of Operational Research, and Journal of Sports Economics, among many others. He has also written and edited books on sports economics, and I am very happy to have him as a guest. Robert, welcome, and thank you for being here with us. Good morning, Carlos. Thank you so much for inviting me on here. It's an honor and a pleasure to be uh, to be able to talk about my research this morning. So I, I really look forward to the conversation. Super, thank you. Today, we will talk about sports research and your paper about TV demand and boxing. But before all that, I'm sure many listeners would like to know a little bit more about how life is in Ireland. I can imagine you spend a lot of time at the University College Cork. How do you get your mind off the university? I suppose that was true up until March 2020. I've spent a lot of time at home since then. So most of my time was in the university, but obviously, as everybody knows, things changed with the pandemic. So most of the last two years have been at home. Um, thankfully, I'm, I'm on campus today and it's, it's a lovely, bright, sunny day here in Ireland and it's lovely to actually be on campus and hopefully things might come back to a little bit more normality again in September as we sort of move back towards the way things were. But I guess, you know, there's lots of things I do and lots of things I do outside of economics. But I suppose sport is always there because I research sports economics, but I'm a, a passionate sports fan as well. So I watch a lot of sports on, on TV and things like that. And I, I still play a little bit of sport when I can. Um, I don't play any Gaelic games. People sometimes ask me, it's more soccer that I play. I was never physically strong enough to play, especially as an adult. When I was younger, I would have played Gaelic games, but much of that, it's a very contact sport, hurling and, and Gaelic football. So it was never to my liking. So uh, soccer was the sport that I probably, but I would always watch uh, Gaelic games on television and watch lots of soccer and, and lots of sport and boxing being one that I would watch as well. And I guess from watching sport, lots of our research ideas merge. I agree with that. And I would love it to give it a try to Gaelic football. I always watch it on TV and I think it's just fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about your research. We have very recently discussed your paper about the determinants of demand for subscription and pay-per-view boxing on the podcast. This paper was published in European Sports Management Quarterly together with David Butler and Joel Maxey. How did you come up with this research idea? Why boxing? That's a good question. I think, well, David, a co-author and colleague David, was the one who had the inspiration of boxing. And where it actually came from was, and it's mentioned in the paper, HBO ended their relationship with boxing. And HBO had been the broadcaster of boxing and much of boxing in the United States for nearly half a century. And it came to an end. And the reason it came to an end was because streaming services have become part of the boxing broadcasting landscape. So you're seeing the emergence of particularly uh, The Zone, who are taking lots of the content that traditionally would have been on television and moving it towards a sort of a streaming platform. So 
David then had the inspiration as well. Why is this happening? Is it the case that boxing is in long term decline? Because you've seen in the last 20 to 30 years, the emergence of other combat sports, particularly mixed martial arts. And you have versions of that. I suppose the most popular is the UFC, the ultimate fighting champion. And that's given fans a different sort of relationship with combat sports. Boxing can be quite slow and tedious at times. Um, you could have 12 rounds where very little happens and it ends in going to the judge's scorecards and it might be a split decision or something like that. Whereas the emergence of these newer combat sports, they tend to be more dramatic. Fights can end much, much faster. So that's the question we wanted to ask. Is boxing a sport that's been around for hundreds of years? Is it now under threat from the emergence of these new types of combat sports? And is this the reason that boxing is moving away from the traditional television platform. Joel came on board. We've known Joel for a number of years. Joel's been to Ireland. We've been to Philadelphia, to Drexel, where Joel is based. And he had previously worked in boxing. And I guess the reason for boxing was because it's a sport that's largely ignored in the sports economics literature. And there's a certain irony in that, because if you were to say Rottenberg was the first paper in 1956, well, then Walter Neal is the second paper in 1964. And one of the first thing Neal addresses is the Lewis Schmeling paradox. And this is the paradox of the heavyweight boxing fight between the American and the German in 1936, which generates huge interest because there is uncertainty of outcome because nobody knew who was going to win. So boxing is addressed almost at the very inception of our subject. And then it's nearly ignored. You can go to the late 70s and early 80s where you'll find a couple of working papers by legendary Roger Nall and James Quirk, Joel Balbian. And would you believe at the moment we're in the process of putting together a special issue for the Journal of Sports Economics. And it's in memory of James Quirk, who passed away a couple of years ago. And again, the reason for this is because of their decision to look at combat sport. And it wasn't just boxing. They looked at karate and wrestling in the late 70s and 80s. But since then, it's very difficult. There's a couple of papers, but it's hard to find much research in this area. And again, I suppose like then all research that gets published, it has to be different and it has to be kind of new. So that's sort of where the motivation came from. We felt it's a sport that deserves more attention. We really enjoy reading about it. And we mentioned this point on our podcast. I also wanted to ask you, what was the most challenging part of the paper? Was it collecting the data? I guess getting this type of data, TV data is not that easy. Yeah. And again, David needs to take credit for this. It was the collection of the data. The TV data was available and it was collated together. So that wasn't so bad. But it was trying to bring then kind of about specific conditions that weren't with the TV data. So the TV data was standalone. So now you're trying to match it up with things that happened in the fight. So who was fighting, where the fight was on, was there a knockout, that sort of thing. And David did all the hard work on that. And I guess it was manually collected. So that's where the challenge came, that it was about 200 fights. Because again, one of the things about boxing is because there's no overarching or single unified governing body, there's a variety of different governing bodies. And there's no sort of schedule either. The schedule is basically what can be negotiated. So boxing is different to soccer or golf or tennis in that regard. Whereas in these sports, you have one dominant body, be it FIFA or the PGA or something. And actually, golf is probably a good example because you're now seeing that dynamic emerging golf where you're getting a competing organization. But 
in most mainstream sports, you have a single authority or authorities that work together and they have a calendar of events or a league table. So Barcelona know that they're playing Real Madrid on X date or Serena Williams knows that she has to compete in the US Open on these dates. Whereas boxing is not like that. It's what the promoters and the managers and the boxers can negotiate. And because of this dynamic, it's often very, very slow. And lots of the fights that people want to see don't happen for a variety of different reasons. So boxing doesn't happen that frequently, or certainly elite boxing doesn't happen that frequently. So even though we look at well over a decade, there's only a couple of hundred fights and getting the data on that was a challenge. Prove the literature on sports demand has been widely analyzed and your paper about boxing is quite novel in my opinion because this sport is usually not included and you also have all this TV data. You also mentioned now streaming. I think streaming has changed the way we watch and the way we follow sports. Where do you see future research on sports demand going from now on? That's a really good question. And you mentioned a couple of interesting things about that. One is streaming and the other is the sport. If you go back to, say, Borland and McDonald in 2003, and they looked at the demand for sport, and that's, it's a brilliant paper. It's still relevant today. And they speak about well, what might change. And you think about what's happened over the last 20 years and how it has changed. I think the change in technology is what is really going to drive this research agenda. If you think back historically, when people spoke about demand for sport, they spoke about ticket sales. Because the only way to watch a game was to go to Wembley or the New Camp or the Stadio Olimpico or whatever the case might be. But with the advent of technology and particularly into the 1980s and 1990s, demand extended to television. So I guess the first wave is being in the stadium. The second wave comes in the 80s with TV. We're probably now into the third wave. And the third wave is the internet. And I think the research in that is still in its infancy because we don't know where it's going to go. But it's not beyond the bounds of possibility in the not too distant future that the television just becomes secondary when it comes to sports demand or broadcasting demand, whereas you just don't watch this on your television anymore. You watch it on your iPhone or you watch it on your laptop or you stream it some other way. And that's not because people don't want to watch it on the television. Maybe it's because the content is just sold to the streaming platforms. Because this is the evolution that we've seen over the last five to 10 years. More and more of this content is migrating from the traditional providers, be it traditional technology like television or the traditional broadcasters, the ones that have been around for decades. So it might be just the case that that's the way it moves. And I guess a lot of this is happening online now anyway, and it's difficult to know how much of it is happening. So you take someone like the Premier League in England who sells the rights in England to Sky and BT and Amazon, but they also use YouTube for highlights. So it's happening on two fronts. And if the live content were to migrate there, I think there's a huge opportunity. And I think the second point you mentioned is different sports. Again, traditionally, sports economics looked at bat baseball and football and basketball and soccer. In the last number of years, particularly the last 20 years, 10 years, I suppose, there's been a migration to other sports, things like boxing and horse racing and tennis and golf. And I think, again, there's way more that can be done on these sports, but it is now starting to happen where you're seeing different sports and different aspects of these sports being explored in greater detail. So I think there are probably the two areas that may emerge in, in the future, the change in technology and, and I suppose the peripheral sports or the sports that we might consider to be as, as popular globally. Beyond demand, I know you have published papers about incentives and effort, pay and performance, 
wisdom of crowds to predict outcomes, sports broadcasting, and even merchandising. I really like this paper about the football jerseys and how the colors were used to create social bonds and they have remained somehow unchanged. That's unbelievable. I wanted to ask you, where do you see your next paper? What type of paper are you working on right now? Well, thanks for mentioning the jerseys paper because I actually had a conversation with, that, like, with a friend who lives in Spain and, and we spoke about Barcelona who refused to put the sponsor on the jersey for so long and the sort of Obviously, that's changed. And I think that says so much about football that it's now changed. But that was a sort of social norm where they wouldn't put the sponsor on the jersey when all the clubs were. Um, I suppose why Real Madrid wear white and, and so on. We do have a follow-up paper on that, which is looking at away jerseys. So it's nearly written. So I suppose it's a nice contrast. So the home jersey never changes, but the away jersey changes all the time. And not only does it change all the time, what we notice is now the colours change. So if you were to take a club, a top club like Barcelona or Real Madrid or Liverpool or Chelsea or somebody like that, you'll find, you know, historically the away colour might have been white or yellow. Now it could be pink or green or blue. Or There, there seems to be no colour that they won't wear. So it's this contrast between a colour that never changes to a colour that changes all the time. So that's one. I have a couple of papers on horse racing at the moment as well. One with a working paper with Stefan Szymanski in Michigan, another with a colleague here in Cork. One is looking at incentives in, in horse racing and jockey effort. And the other looks at the closure of race courses. Again, so horse racing would have been a paper you mentioned their incentive. And it's something I would have done because like boxing, horse racing is probably a sport that's very much under research in the sports economic literature for a variety of different reasons. I'm just trying to think. We do have a paper, I mentioned it earlier on, on YouTube, highlights and demand for highlights. And that's uh, about to, it's been rejected a couple of times. So we have to keep going with that one, as is often the case. But why do people watch highlights? Because the score is often, is known. Okay, for some cases it might be known, but for the vast majority of people, they know a score when they go into watch highlights. So, so what's uh, driving that level of demand? So that's sort of it at the moment. And if I can get some of them out the next six to 12 months, as you know, it's <laughs> one would be a huge success. It sounds fantastic, Robert. I do agree. This highlight is a really interesting setting. And because of the importance of streaming, I think it will be more and more relevant in the future. We will keep following your updates. Robert, thank you for sharing this time with us. I hope you had a good time. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm delighted to do this in, in future again, if there's ever the demand for me to, to return, I'd be delighted to come back and talk again in future about other research that I'm doing. So thanks. It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. Thank you very much. It was our pleasure. It was short, but very lovely. This is everything for today's interview. Thank you for listening to the weekly sports piece. Bye for now.